Well, good morning, Hope Markham. My name is Pastor Matt. I have the joy of serving on staff at Harvest Muskoka in the soul care position. And I'm very excited to open God's word with you here this morning. You've already heard Pastor Mark uh, read the passage, but we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. So if you want to open your Bibles, open your tablets, whatever form you like to look at the word in, and start heading over to Philippians chapter 2. Now, obviously, we haven't had a lot of opportunities to get to know one another, so I'm going to lean in with a little bit of vulnerability. My name's Matt, and I'm a recovering barista. Now, you're probably immediately wondering, like, what is a recovering barista? Um, I'll just say that I used to work for a coffee company where I used to put on a green apron. I think we all know what I'm talking about right now. Pumpkin spice season is upon us. Every barista is in intensive counseling during pumpkin spice season. It's a very, very divided season within the coffee community. Because really, you're going to fall into one of two people. Ready? One, you already have the heat going on in your car. You pull up to that drive through window and you order that venti pumpkin spice latte with whipped cream. You're either that person or you love Jesus and you would never order that drink. <laughs> now imagine this. Imagine we could become so easily divided and polarized over something over coffee. What about our world today? We are living in a divided, angry, canceling culture. And many things are competing for our attention, our affection, and our focus. And much of it is important. But what we're about to see here through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is his desire to see a mindset and a unity among the people. And so before we even dive into the text that Pastor Mark has already written, I'd love, church, if you would just pause with me as we go to the throne. Let's pray. God, as we're about to look into Philippians, would we just not see words on a page? Would we not just see uh, something that we have read before? Protect us from familiarity that leads to dismissing. But I pray as we look to Philippians 2, 1 through 11, would we see the beauty of the calling of the believer, but greater than that, the beauty of how Christ has already first accomplished this. Would we leave here today, Lord, having greater affection for you and for your word because of how your spirit spoke and how your spirit moved and how your spirit unified, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. So first we're going to see in Philippians uh, chapter 2, 1 through 11, is the, the call to one mind. I'm going to break down the passages that you've already heard Pastor Mark preach. But in verses 1 through 2, go there with me right now. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, here's where Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Here you're seeing Paul is, is going to be encouraging the church. He's exhorting us here today to have a certain type of mindset and unity among one another. The church in Philippi had a very unique place in Paul's heart. He planted it on his second missionary journey between Antioch and Syria. They were a large financial contributor to his, his, his ministry. But greater than that, they were a church known for their encouragement 
to Paul, their unity with Paul, particularly even during his imprisonment in difficult times. And here we're looking at this letter where Paul is sending a letter of encouragement and exhortation to those whom he already loves. And his focus, his call for the church is this, unity. Unity. The church of Philippi was in a really Romanized culture. And it was a very spiritualized culture with a lot of different camps of thought. Does that not feel like our world today? Do we not live in a highly spiritualized world with a lot of different camps of thought? And Paul here is going, guard yourself. Unity, unity, unity. Ground yourself. Ground yourself through a a particular type of mindset that we're about to break down in the passage. Paul is exhorting them. Unity, unity in mindset. Unity not on a political party. Unity not on cultural issues, first and foremost, but unity with a mindset set apart on something higher. Now, you're going to see in verses 1 through 11, Paul keeps using the word mind, mind, mind. He's going to say, being of the same mind, have this same mind among you, have this mindset, be of one mind. The meaning of the mind here, according to the Bible, it's referring to uh, our thoughts, but it's, it's, it's deeper than this. In the Greek, its emphasis is is active, it's present. It's setting your mind upon something. But what does it mean to be setting your mind on, setting your mind onto something? It's taking our thought life, it's taking our affection, it's taking our desires, our emphasis, our energy. It's a way of developing and cultivating thinking based on careful consideration. Can I just encourage you, you ready? There's not one man or woman here today that hasn't already put their mind on something. Paul's just encouraging you what to put your mind on. I oversee the counseling ministry at Harvest Muskoka. You wouldn't believe the power of mindset. But pause, you ready? For good or for destruction. It all comes down to what the mind is set on. I could sit in a counseling room with a husband and a wife and break down their marital difficulties, and I could see shattered mindsets in front of us. And you wouldn't believe the destruction that can occur with shattered mindsets that aren't unified on the same object, they aren't pursuing the same type of affections. But in the same way I've equally seen in the counseling room, in the most destructive of circumstances, when a person shifts the mindset off of and onto the power and life that can result from that. I want to encourage you. Your mind is always in active gear. And in counseling, I always hear the guy's nothing box. You know, what you, you know when a wife is like, hey guys, what are you thinking about? And you're like, uh, nothing. Well, his actually mind is set on his own comfort. He's just kind of on cruise control in that moment. But here, we always have our mind actively set upon something. And Paul's going like with intentionality, with, with cultivation, set your mind upon, engage, look to, shift towards. And so right here, we hear this, this calling to have this mind among us. But let's take a look deeper in the text. What is the posture and what is the power of this one-mindedness? Let's look at verses three through four. Go there with me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Isn't it interesting? In, in, interesting that when, when this mindset is set upon something that is good, it's bringing a unity within the body of believers. Look, look in this, this verse. He's saying, like Paul's saying, let my joy be complete. His, Paul's joy in, in the church of Philippi, I think Paul's joy for here, us today, it isn't going to be an aesthetic Christianity. Paul's joy isn't based off of behavioralism or some type of moralism. His joy is complete in a unity of mindedness within the church that leads to a serving of one another. It's first a mind set upon Christ and it's secondarily a mind set upon our brother and our sister in the faith. It's a calling to look past ourselves Isn't it fascinating how Paul's exhortation would have been countercultural then as much as it is here today? What is culture telling you, ingraining in you? Make no mistake, culture is trying to discipline you. Have your eyes on you. You are the point. Your comfort. Your. And Paul's instantly shifting it, the mindset off of Matt King and onto him and onto my brothers and sisters' needs within the faith. The mind that is set upon itself is incapable of doing what Paul is calling here. I love Paul's teaching throughout the New Testament because he's constantly talking about the mind. He's not just going after aesthetic Christianity or behavioralism. Paul's use of the word mind here in Philippians 2 is the same as when he's talking about in Romans 8. The mind set on the flesh is destruction, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Fascinating. What you set upon either brings destruction or what you set your mind upon, your affection and your hope in, will actually bring greater life and peace. A mind that is first set upon anything other than the gospel will never fulfill what Paul is desiring to see in the church of Philippi today. The bride will not stand in the days ahead without this mindedness. How are we going to do this? We've got to look at the posture of the one mind. It's going to be found in verse 3. The posture of the one mind is going to be a posture of humility. But in humility, consider... The, the birthing posture of this mindedness is a humility towards one another in the faith. And you're like, okay, Paul, well, how do I, like, Paul, you show me this humility. Look at chapter one, verse one in Philippians. How does Paul reveal himself to his friends in the faith? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Do you know this term servant is the most commonly used word to describe what a follower of Jesus Christ is? It's servant. Now, I like to kind of break this down, and I would probably make a couple of you squirm right now if I pulled out my smartphone and I opened my LinkedIn kind of app, and I started researching some of your names. I'm sure in all of your bios, you guys are magnificent. You've never had a flaw You're just perfectly put together. Everybody's a leader, an entrepreneur, an innovator. Um, LinkedIn is just the biggest, more often than not, lie I've ever seen. Like, honestly, I think if we want honest LinkedIn accounts, you know what we should do? We should let our spouse write it for us. 
right? Like there's a way I could do my LinkedIn account. Hey, my name's Matt King. I have a da 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 degrees, all these types of things. I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm amazing. I'm and I could just write this magnificent bio. And here's what my wife would write. Matt King has a heart for Christ and a heart for people. We've had the same fight in our marriage for 10 years, and it has to do with the tidiness of his nightstand table. We've even removed his nightstand table, at which point he made the floor his nightstand table. And if you think I'm joking about this, the day before I drove in to preach to you here today, my wife had another come to Jesus meeting with me about my nightstand table. Paul's LinkedIn account for the faith could destroy us. Probably, arguably, one of the greatest missionaries of the New Testament forward. And here, he's not talking about all the things that he has done for the gospel, all these magnificent accolades, these wonderful miracles. He goes, Paul, a servant. When was the last time you esteemed yourself as such? But it's in this posture of humility this posture of our true identity, we can fulfill the calling of the gospel in our lives with this mindedness because we know before the cross, we know who Christ is, we know who we are, and we know who our brothers and sisters in the faith are. The posture of this calling is coming from humility. And you know what I love? Humility is always within our choice and our control. Nobody can rob you of your posture of humility other than if you choose to allow them to. And so if humility is not abounding in your life, it's not the other person's fault. It's yours. And so we see the posture of this calling is gonna come from humility. But what's the power behind this one mind? It's this. It's intimacy with Christ. If you go and you look at chapter one before chapter two, chapter one is loaded with Paul leveraging, even in hardship, the power of the gospel being manifested in his life. He's talking about how in his private prayer life, he's already lifting up the saints of Philippi. He's thankful for the saints in Philippi for their, for their presence in his life. That's verse four. In nine, he's praying for more work of the gospel in their midst. Verse 11, is f- he's praying that this church, these members, they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, he's praying that, that and, and, and just worshiping that Christ is being proclaimed in all of his circumstances. Verse 20, Paul's prayer is that Christ will be honored in his life and in his death. Verse 21, he's literally saying, whether they take my life or whether they let me live, I'm gonna worship Christ and proclaim his greatness. Verse 27, his prayer for Philippi is that they would stand in one spirit, in one mind, side by side, and not frightened by opposition. Before Paul gets to chapter two for the call to unity, look at the powerful, quiet work that unity is being done in Paul's heart between him and the Lord as he's praying for the church in Philippi. Now, if you ever get to know me in a counseling uh, kind of circumstance, I'm a very handsy talker. You've probably already seen this. And so a lot of times in counseling, I'll talk about the vertical and the horizontal. And you're like, Matt, what is that? Wonderful, thank you for asking. When I talk about the vertical, I often refer to just our relationship with the Lord. When I refer to the horizontal, it has to do with our relationships with one another. 
Did you see in chapter one, before he's talking to the saints of unity in chapter two, do you see the vertical interactions that Paul is having with the Lord with regards to the saints of the church of Philippi? Isn't it interesting that he's not just quick to run to these horizontal relationships, but yet he's taking these relationships, these these brothers and sisters in the faith, and he's lifting them up in prayer, interceding for them, thanking God for them, and praying that God would do more work in their midst. Look at all that private cultivation that the Lord is doing. Paul knew the importance of interceding for his fellow believers, now, I lived nine years down in Virginia at a school um, that will allow to remain anonymous. I'll call it Freedom University, deal? And at this school, I learned a saying that I learned to fear more than any other saying. God bless their soul. Do you know why? Because in the Southern culture, God bless their soul is the warm up to or conclusion of slamming a person. <laughs> Oh man, that Matt King, he is a real piece of work. He cannot get his bedside table together for the life of him. Like if, if God's going to ever do anything in his life, it's going to have to be the work of the Lord because you know it's not him. God bless his soul. I think it's really easy for Christians to talk to other Christians about other Christians. But what does it look like for Christians to raise up other Christians in prayer? It's really easy to have a lot of horizontal chat in Christianity. But perhaps some of the most unifying factors is the vertical component of our relationship together, not just our conversations. And if this is true, what is this saying about Matt? What is this saying about you here today? What does your gratitude and prayer life look like for when it comes to other believers? Can I ask you, let's get more personal, you ready? What does your prayer life and gratitude look like in your own home? What does it look like towards your spouse in prayer? What does it look like for your children in prayer? Or we'll push in a little bit deeper, you ready? What does that prayer life look like in the most difficult of relationships that you have in your life? Not just in the great ones. If we're gonna strive for unity, if we're gonna strive for this mindedness, We must have a humility before Christ. And if we're going to make Paul's joy complete, then we're going to have to have a humility between one another. How are these ingredients in your life? If the posture of one-mindedness is humility, what does humility look like in your life today? And if that's the posture, but the power of one-mindedness is going to be our intimacy with Christ, what does that look like in your life here today? Now, let's be realistic. Let's pause. I often found myself in this sermon prep right here having to pause because I just felt this weight. Because you hear Paul's exhortation towards unity, towards one anotherness, towards this side-by-sideness, towards this mindedness. And I just had to pause and I'm just having a moment of just um, vulnerability before you. I'm going, I'm so inclined to put my mind on other things. I am a creature so inclined to focus on what ultimately doesn't matter. My default is to have my mind on me, not my wife, Becky. My mind is naturally cast upon me, not my God. That is my natural inclination. 
Or maybe as I'm talking about unity here today, maybe, maybe it's striking a, a nerve because of relationships that you have in your life. Maybe they're strained relationships. Maybe it's something that you're going through in life right now. Maybe you've lost all hope in your marriage. Maybe you've lost all hope within your own home. Maybe you guys are, are going through something in your life that when I'm talking about this unity and loving one another, you're like, this is the antithesis of my experience. And you're feeling despair and discouragement. Then we must find hope and comfort in remembering something, and it's this. The person of the one-mindedness. You're like, Matt, my marriage has had the exact opposite vibe of everything that you're talking about. I don't even know how to do this. You ready? We gotta put our mind on the one. Why? Watch him already do it. Everything Paul's commanding the church, exhorting the church, Christ is now going to do and has done is in verses five through 11. Look there with me. Have this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of man, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being, and being found in human form. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to set our mind upon the one. We can take confidence in verse five. Why? He says, have this mind among you, and it's given to us in Jesus. The person of the one mind is Jesus Christ. How has he already displayed what Paul's exhorting the church in Philippi to do? Let's break it down a little bit. Look, verse 7, he chooses, Jesus Christ consciously chooses to empty himself in verse 7, taking on the form of a, what identity do you see right there in verse 7? It's the same word Paul used in verse one. Humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. There's the posture of the one mind. And in verse eight, here's, you see here, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Don't move past this verse quickly. Jesus a member of the Trinity, the perfect son of God had this mind amongst himself, humility and servanthood. Have you ever thought and broken down the idea of the cross? His throne was established. His throne has never been threatened. He endured the cross with you on his mind. He had a mind for you. He had your interests in mind. And it's fascinating how Jesus himself has first shown how to do the very calling that Paul is exhorting the church in Philippi to. 
Jesus Christ has already fulfilled the very thing that we, one another, are called to do amongst ourselves. And I love it because sometimes we can almost read um, the word of God and, and almost have what I like to call the Kirk Cameron film over it. And by that, I mean like it's just a little too romantic and easy at times. Like look at example of Christ's life. Let's, let's look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at Christ's example of how he is consciously setting his mind upon the Lord. What was his prayer three times in the Garden of Gethsemane? Your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. We see Christ beautifully demonstrating this wasn't one and done. It was this wrestling of, I am putting my thoughts, my desires, and my affections on you. Lord, I am casting myself upon you. And it's interesting because a lot of theologians would agree that the cross was won in the Garden of Gethsemane because of the mindset that was birthed from it, because of the grounding that came from it. Now, it's interesting because when you really break this down and you see how Christ has first displayed it, there's another thought to it, and it's this. If a member of the church of Philippi was to ignore this order for unity, to to not have this choice of, of mindedness, Let's make it a little more personal. If you choose to put yourself in this room or myself in this room and we choose to put ourselves above this calling, are you ready? Watch out. We've esteemed and positioned ourselves higher than Jesus Christ chose to. The church, this call for unity, this side-by-sideness, this mind among us, We will never achieve this apart from humility. We cannot do this without the posture and the power of abiding in Christ towards this one-mindedness. And we cannot do this without setting our, our minds upon the one, Jesus Christ. And you know what I love? This is my first time I've ever gotten to open God's word with you here today. And can I encourage you? I'm not just exhorting you from the word of God, do this. My last name is King. The kings have been recipients of this from y'all. Two years ago, I got really sick, flown by air ambulance, intubated twice. I had to learn to redo life from literally walking up. My entire life did a reset. In one morning, our world got flipped, turned, just upside down. And there are names within your church where you had this one-mindedness and this serving one another. You as a church have already done this in the life of Matt King and Becky King. And so I don't just sit here exhorting you to to have a mind for one another, to count others more significant than yourselves. I've been a recipient of it. And I say, I have seen the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the way that you've postured and served and loved my own family. It's interesting how really we've read up to verse 11, but verse 12 is now gonna jump into being lights in the world. Isn't it interesting how Paul is first addressing unity and mindedness before mission. 
Why do you think that is? Before he's saying, go, be lights in the world, he's first taking account of something that's very important. Before you go, here's what's important. Be unified. Love him. Love one another. And from that position, go. Again, Paul, if you go to the fourth chapter, as he's concluding his book, Paul again is talking about mindedness. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Set your mind upon these things. Isn't it interesting how even this morning we started with communion? You know what communion is when you really break it down? It's reminding yourself. It's having a mindedness. It's the church coming together, not over certain issues. It's the church coming together, remembering Jesus Christ. And that is the position that we are always safest in. That when we take that cracker and we take that juice that is probably six months too old every single time, you're like, we should probably get some new Welches. That in that moment, it's this, this, I'm stopping the busyness of today. I'm stopping the checklist of what exists after this service. And I'm setting my mind upon what Jesus Christ has done in, for, and through me. We've already practiced this this mindedness here in this this service. But imagine this. Dream with me for a second, church. What would our relationships look like? Imagine the power of the gospel in our homes, in our marriages, and with our children if we had this mind among us if we had this unity. And if we did, then not only would Paul's joy be complete, an unbelieving world would look in at Hope Markham. An unbelieving world would look in at Harvest Muskoka. And they would see a culture so different that in a world of trashing and canceling and anger and slander and gossip, they would look into this bride of Christ called Hope Markham and go, why are they loving each other so much? I see that you have needs, yet you are already thinking about the other. And maybe through this mindedness amongst us, We would see the lost saved. We would grow in unity as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ would be glorified in and through us. Because at the end of verse 11, it's talking about how every knee is going to bow. I don't know about you, but when I meet Jesus Christ, I want to meet him with my mind on him and having a mind for you. I don't want to meet him with my mind on me. And apart from humility, we'll never do this. But imagine a church that would set its mind upon Jesus Christ. Imagine a church that would be side by side in unity and in love. Hope Markham, your summer series has been ready, set, go. Ready yourself with this mind amongst you. 
set yourself with this mind among you. And only from this mindedness, now go. Will you pray with me, church? Christ, I cannot thank you enough for your grace in my life. That 2,000 years ago, you would go to a cross with me on your mind, serving and loving me. Who am I that I cannot have eyes for the other? And so, Lord, I pray for us, God, for us as a church, for us um, in our marriages, in, in our parenting, in our homes, in our community, and in our workplaces, God, I pray that as brothers and sisters in the faith, would we have our mind set on what matters and set a guard over our mind that we wouldn't set it on what will fail us and what will flee. And I pray in the, in the days and in the years and in the decades to come, I pray, will, will this church be known for, for a, a unity, Lord, for a love for one another that would cause the city of Markham to look in and find this church both strange and beautiful and that you would get the glory, the honor, and the praise we pray. In Christ Jesus' name and blood we pray, amen.